The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today to Be Present. I'm Diane Ray, your host, and I'm so glad you could join me. This is my first live show of 2020. I'm very excited. <laughs> I'm testing out my new uh, Christmas gift here. My husband bought me this boom mic. So romantic, right? He got me a boom mic and a stun gun for when I walk around the neighborhood. That's another story. But I've, I've got this thing set up here. And, uh, you know, so you might hear some knocks and bumps or something as I'm kind of getting used to it. But I love it, you know, kind of hands-free, ready to go as we launch into 2020. So hopefully you had a great holiday and a great new year and just kind of forging ahead with what you've got going on um, coming up in the the coming year. Lots of stuff, lots of busy things happening. You know, things are really growing and changing here at unityonlineradio.org. We've got lots of new shows that we're launching in the coming months. So I hope you stay tuned for that. I've got some exciting things planned. So uh, we're, we're really excited here at, at Unity Online Radio. So today, launching into my interview, I've got an amazing guest that I'm really excited to introduce you to. And I've been spending some time with his book, Writing to Awaken. Mark Matusek is a best-selling author, teacher, and speaker whose work focuses on personal awakening through transformational writing and self-inquiry. I mean, this guy gets deep with this book. It, it's really fascinating. He brings over three decades of experience as a memoirist, editor, interviewer, survivor, activist, and spiritual seeker to his work with students. His workshops, classes, and mentoring have inspired thousands of people around the world to reach their artistic and personal goals. And I've been spending some time with Mark's book, Writing to Awaken, and I'm telling you, it's really brought up some interesting stuff. We're gonna talk about it in the next hour. But first, I just wanna mention that if you are interested in exploring this world and maybe stretching your wings in the writing realm, Definitely Mark will be your guide. And there's an event coming up at Unity Village in Kansas City, Missouri with Mark called Writing as a Spiritual Practice, The Healing Power of Telling Your Story. It's March 12th through the 15th. And Mark will be your guide as you learn to use personal storytelling as a road to self-discovery. So this is really exciting. Details on this are on our website at unity.org. Just click events find out more about that. So Mark, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you could join me today. Thank you. So am I, Diane. It's great to be here. And Mark is joining me on Skype. We were just kind of chatting a little bit before the show. So I'm excited that he's able to share his gift with all of us today. So Mark, just to talk a little bit about the event. So what kind of people come to this event? Is this for writers only or for anybody? No, it's not for writers only by any means, Diane. It's, this is a, a course for anyone who's interested in self-inquiry and using writing as a way to awaken uh, to deeper self-knowledge uh, and, and spiritual wisdom. Uh, it, you don't have to be a writer to do this. If you can write an email, you can do these exercises. What, what you do need to be is curious and willing to take some risks 
uh, within yourself uh, in order to benefit from it. But uh, the quality of the writing isn't the point. It's really the honesty and the courage behind the writing that matter. Well, I've been spending some time with the book, Writing to Awaken, and I love the writing prompts and the exercises. And I'm telling you, it's it's really, it brings up stuff. You know, I, I don't even know how to describe it. I've been working with some of the exercises and I'll, I'll share a little bit of it with you, kind of revealing, you know, my, my innermost self, <laughs> which I can do in oh, the anonymity of radio, you know, which is great. People won't see me uh, feeling all uncomfortable. But this work really does take you places and it really uh, kind of challenges you to ask yourself these questions. So even just in the beginning of the book, I was reading the introduction to Writing to Awaken by the fabulous Joan, Joan Borisenko. And I've had the privilege of being able to work with Joan, and she's so amazing. She calls this book a gift to the world. And I've always been a fan of Joan's, and she's always so eloquent. And even on her Facebook post, you know, everything she writes is just so beautiful. So when I was reading her introduction, I was really surprised to read that she views her own writing as utilitarian and not quote real writing and I was like what if Joan Borisenko feels like that you know that's crazy but then I thought to myself you know I mean I do a lot of writing in my job and I have over the years like I write commercial copy and things like that not really prose and so I've always thought the same thing that Joan thought like I'm a meat and potatoes writer that's what I would call it I'm just you know I, I churn out commercial copy but but that's wrong. And, and you say that in the book, you know, what's wrong with these kinds of beliefs? Well, uh, for starters, they overlook uh, how in incredibly creative we are when we sort of dip underneath our, our picture of ourselves. For example, Joan thinks of herself as a scientist, first, first and foremost. And of course she is, but she's also an artist. So for her, it's about bringing that artistry more into uh, into her public life. And, and that involves becoming more vulnerable. So for example, you know, you're discovering with, with the, with the book that even though you're used to writing different kinds of things, uh, you don't always call on yourself or challenge yourself, or maybe even think you're able to express uh, yourself at a different level, uh, at a more, uh, at a, at a more truthful and uh, vulnerable level. So that's what this book is about. That's what the practice does, is it shows people that they have a much, much more to say, and they know much more than they think they do. You know, the beauty of self-inquiry is that we get to ask ourselves questions. Uh, and when you do that, you realize that you have a witness in you. You have a guide in you. There is wisdom that's already there. But we're not taught to look within. Generally, we're taught to you know ask other people to guide us. Uh, and this work brings us back to ourselves and, and creates... Uh, self-reliance that, that's really, really useful, particularly when you're trying to heal uh, old wounds, traumas, uh, and, and ideas about yourself that are limiting your, your growth. It's been so revealing to work through some of these exercises, and I'm, I'm not through it completely. Um, I think there's about 48 lessons to work through the the work is divided into four parts or the book is divided into four parts so do you suggest people just work through this in sequence from just from the beginning i do yeah i do because it's the same thing i do in my workshops if you don't start in the basement 
<laughs> it's it's very hard to to build a house, uh, and it's very hard also to clean a house if you don't really start uh, with the fundamentals and doing the core work, the bucket work. So and that's why I begin with the shadow. Uh, and looking at uh, the creation myth, where we think we come from, uh, and how that story of self evolved to begin with. And, and until we understand that, we can't talk about love, we can't write about family, we can't write about relationship uh, if we don't know, know who we are. So it begins with that perennial question of who am I, uh, and what are the parts of myself that I don't really look at? Uh, so, so if you skip ahead and start in the middle of the book, you're gonna you're gonna miss the the foundation of of the building, so to speak. Right, and really taking it in sequence would be. It, it feels like even as I'm working my way through uh, these series of exercises, like you're with me in this experience. Like I'm I'm kind of virtually taking this retreat with you. You know, even oh, though physically. Oh, good. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you feel that way. That's what I wanted it to be. I did. I did want to feel like I was there as a guide um, because this is, you know, this is challenging work and people want to know that you've been there. So I'm, I'm happy that the book communicates that to you. No, it really does. And it is challenging. I mean, even this morning, um, I did an exercise last night and I went back and looked at it and, you know, it it is. It's challenging and kind of brought tears to my eyes and, and emotions. And I mean, I can imagine what really goes on in the workshops um, before the show was saying, I really want to come to that workshop. <laughs> you know, maybe I can work <laughs> something out in March, uh, but it must be some real emotion that is shared and people are being really brave in bearing their souls like this. That's got to be really amazing to witness. You know, it is. It's an extraordinary thing. It's why I love doing it because people undergo serious transformation over the course of two or three days. I have many people who have told me that they've uh, had more insight and felt more empowered uh, after a weekend of doing uh, transformational writing uh, as they have in six months of therapy. Uh, because in therapy, we're not often taught to, first of all, um, therapists don't often come out and ask you the question that needs to be asked because they want you to find it for yourself. Uh, this is a much more direct path. And so people have great openings uh, and learn things about themselves that they weren't expecting. They, a lot of people have said that they, they got more than they bargained for. They thought they were taking a writing class. And in fact, they were taking a class uh, about waking up uh, and a class about identity, uh, a class about personal meaning. Uh, and it, it does go deep. I'm not really interested in doing work that doesn't go deep you know life is short and 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 i want to offer something to people where they walk away with with a sense of of, of change uh, so it, it can be painful and and there are there's no forced sharing in the group it's not like people have to share their writing they don't um they don't have to share anything if they don't want to uh, it's between us and ourselves it's about witnessing. It's like you said, you did an exercise last night. You came back this morning and you wept. You know, there, that's in that something was opened up in you uh, in terms of, of self-understanding and, and perhaps parts of your feeling life that you, you've suppressed. So that's, that's, that's the idea uh, is, to, is to have these openings, even when they're painful, in order for them to heal and in order for us to know, know who we are. It's that's that's it's the, and what it's I got discovered to, have to start too, with that. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. No, I was going to say what I discovered, too, in the act of writing some of this stuff out and maybe the people in the 
uh, events and retreats experience this as well, that you're able to reach those places that maybe you can't verbalize. You know, it's easier to put it down on paper where it's more personal. You don't have to show it to anybody, like you said, but you're still, you're getting it out there. Things that maybe cannot be spoken aloud or are exactly. easier to write. Do people find that? Exactly. I mean, that, that's exactly what it's about. It's about getting out the stories and seeing them in black and white and saying the unsayable things, telling the untold stories uh, within the privacy of your own, you know, of your own awareness. Uh, so, so that you can, you can bring up the things that cause you sh shame, for example, uh, without, having, without having to feel punished or afraid uh, of the reactions of other people. Not, you don't even have to go to therapy. And the beauty of this writing is you can do it anywhere, anytime, and it doesn't cost anything uh, to ask ourselves questions. At any given moment of the day, you can say, where does it hurt? For example, that's a great question to start. Where does it hurt? Mm, you know, whether it's physical pain, emotional pain, uh, spiritual, you know, spiritual longing or suffering, we can do that at any time for ourselves. Uh, and, and so that's why I call it a practice, because it's ongoing. A, a guy asked me a while back, you know, so when will I know when I'm done? <laughs> and there was a big laugh in the, in the room. And people said, well, when you're dead, you'll know that you're done. You know, questioning goes on and on uh, and, and opening goes on and on. And that's the beauty of it. Uh, that's why we it, I have had people take the same class uh, several times. I say, well, why did you do that? They said, because I got new answers to the old questions. And, and that's really what I love about this uh, this work. Right. It must be so incredible to watch that transformation with with the students and, and the participants. And you're right. I mean, really, the questioning doesn't end until the end, you know, until our last breath. And hopefully we will stay open to change. Um, some of the big influences in my life, I worked with Louise Hay for many years and, you know, she lived to be 92 and she was always kind of inquiring and questioning and taking ballroom dance classes and, you know, just things to challenge yourself. And I think that's such a great practice to get into to really start challenging ourselves. I'm talking with Mark Matusek about his book, Writing to Awaken, and also his powerful events, retreats, uh, one he's doing in March, Writing as a Spiritual Practice at Unity Village in Kansas City. And you know, this show is live if you happen to be spinning out there in the cosmos of the internet and you stumble upon us listening and you feel so moved to share a story, then join the conversation, 816-251-3555 is the number to call should you so desire. So Mark, in the book, you describe first starting to write as a child and the peace and clarity you would feel after putting things down on paper. And I've been kind of experimenting with this with journaling. I was never really a big journaler in the past and I've been trying to keep just kind of a notebook by my bed and, and jot things down. And it, it really does give you a feeling of, of peace and quiet to go through that practice. But what I thought was interesting that you said in the book that the big revelation you had was that you are not your story. And we're so tied to our identity of who we are, or who we're presenting ourselves out to be in the world. And so concerned a lot of times of, of what people think. Um, how, how did you work with that? You, you are not your story. We are not our stories. This for me was the big revelation uh, as a memoirist uh, and also as a seeker, because it's one of the prime lessons of, of, of spirituality is to realize you're not this 
personality. You're not this narrative self that you present to the world, uh, but, but also as a teacher, uh, because when people began to question their stories, uh, their lives were transformed. I like to say that when you tell the truth, your story changes. And when your story changes, your life is transformed because we don't often tell ourselves the truth uh, about what's going on at any given moment. We uh, use euphemisms, we protect other people, we, we cover up. Um, so the story stays the same until we begin to question it. You know, it's funny, I was talking earlier today with Byron Katie, who's a wonderful teacher, and we were talking about this uh, question of, of inquiring into the story in order to find uh, the space and freedom to grow and to evolve. But as long as we're caught in the story, we can't do that. So for me, that's the primary driver of all of this work is encouraging people to be as honest as possible with themselves, uh, to look at the story and recognize that they are the storyteller and not the story. Uh, and when they do that, they realize that that they can grow, that they're not stuck inside this this old calcified idea of the, who they are, that in fact, we are quantum protean shape shift creatures who are evolving all the time if we allow ourselves to. So the, the, the point is allowing ourselves to change. Uh, and that's, of course, the bottom line for any kind of resilience uh, and any kind of uh, survival is, is allowing ourselves to, to adapt uh, to what is true. And that is a story that is always changing. So there's nothing wrong with telling stories. We tell stories. We will do it uh, till we will do it forever. We're homo narrans. We're the storytelling ape. It's how we make sense of the world. That's not the problem. The problem is that we confuse the story with reality. So what this writing does is helps us tweak uh, those things apart. <laughs> the storytelling ape. I love that. And you make a comment in the book that we're really the only beings that tell stories. And I never thought of it that way, but I guess that's true. I don't know. I mean, when my when my cats communicate, maybe they are telling each other stories. <laughs> I don't think I don't, so. I think, I I think, think about that. Too, it's <laughs> they're too. I think they're too busy being present. You know, the the, the fact is that we we live in a conceptualized reality. We're constantly interpreting experience, so we live at second hand from our own lives. Uh, we're not actually in them. Often, we're in our idea about them, uh, and. Until we get out of our heads uh, and get back into reality, we can't we can't connect with other people and we can't move forward. Uh, we can't move forward in our lives. So it's about recognizing right. there's nothing wrong with concepts of the conceptual mind. Uh, there's nothing wrong with narrative uh, as long as you get that it's a creation. It's not set in stone and you can change it. Right. That's so true. And we so. Um kind of dig our heels against that, right? I mean, I know so many people that fight change and transition, and I'm, I'm sure I do it as well. I mean, in fact, I know I do. Um, we, we find that so uncomfortable, but that's really the only way we know that we're growing, right? If we, if we feel that discomfort against the change, but lean into it rather than avoid it and move against it or away from yeah. it. Yeah, I exactly right. Uh, so the, the only only way that we can move forward is to step out of the the interpretations that we have about who we are. We 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 labor under so many misconceptions about our own potential, uh, and it's not until we really look at the the the, the reasons 
that we tell ourselves those stories uh, and the implications of of those stories that we that we really begin to get free. Right. You know, the thing about stories and especially in families, and I was thinking about this as, as I was reading through the book, because you say how we remember things is actually more important than what really happens. And I had um, something happen recently. My brother was visiting from Florida. I'm here in California uh, just a month or two ago. And I was amazed at how, in my mind, he was rewriting history because we talked uh -huh. about different events and he described things and events and interactions, you know, with my parents, I was there, but it didn't happen that way, you know, to my recollection. So I, I wanted to ask you about that. You know, what do you think about this? Is it, is it dangerous or unfair to the people involved to rewrite history or should I, I just have to honor my brother's recollection of those events? You, you have to honor your brother's recollection of those events. That you know, We're all in our own movie. Uh, it, that's what's extraordinary about talking to siblings, for example. You wonder, did you grow up in the same house? Did we have exactly. the same parents? You know, my, <laughs> sister, my sister has warm, fuzzy memories of our mother. Those aren't the memories that I have of our mother. Mm -hmm. So it, it has to do with how, how we remember. Uh, James Hillman said that our lives are determined less by what happened to us in childhood than by how we remember what happened to us in childhood. And of course, Bessel van der Kolk, the trauma specialist, says the same thing, that until we uh, can change the question, the story and shift the story uh, and, and realize that we are we put our own we put our own wash, our, our own tint on everything, we can't heal. The people who heal from trauma are the people who can look at their story in a new way and consider it from the present tense. Folks who don't, according to him, are people who get stuck with one version of the story and they hold on to it for dear life because it becomes their identity. Right. Whether it's whether it's factual truth or not. But I guess, like you said, that's open to debate, because even though I was in the same room in, in a lot of these situations, that my brother was in, like like you said with your sister, she had different warm, fuzzy feelings. You know, he had different feelings about my father. I was like, wait a minute. It, it was just, it was such an interesting discussion on on some of those mm -hmm. events. Um, and, and I want to have him come and take your course because <laughs> I think this would be, you know, it would be so beneficial um, to kind of go over some of these things. Um, and but, another but, thing that you... But don't you... Can uh, I ask you something? Sure. Don't you, don't you find, Diane, that in any given moment, you could describe it in a number of different ways, depending on how, what you wanted to emphasize? Yeah, I guess you're right. That's true. At it, any, at in any in relating moment, it to different people, maybe. Relating it to different people, uh, wanting to focus on this or that. You know, giving it a different slant. Any, and I, I'm very aware of this as a memoir writer because when you're trying to describe experience, you realize that you have a there's a spectrum of ways that you could approach it. You can you can approach it as a victim story. You can approach it as a hero story. You can approach it as a caregiver story. You can put all kinds of different uh, you know, different frames around it. So when you consider that that's possible with one person and his or her experience, you take two people. Uh, and it's a miracle that we can communicate at all. It's a miracle that we we can share share emotional memories at all. 
It really is. Yeah, it's it's amazing when you think about it. And as a as a memoirist, wouldn't you say? I mean, I'm so interested in people's stories, and I think I've mentioned this before on the show. That one of my uh, I guess guilty pleasures. I always love to read the obituaries in newspapers, and I know newspapers are kind of a thing of the past, but I would always read them and just I love to hear about people's lives. And don't you feel as a memoirist? I mean, everybody has a story to share everybody's life. Oh God, yes. Everybody everybody has an, has many, many, many different stories to share and many different uh, versions of, of, of that story. The thing is though, that the, when you, for example, reading an obituary, an obituary tells you what the person did. It doesn't necessarily tell you who they were. Uh, you know, often the facts don't, aren't enough to communicate the truth. Uh, there's a whole emotional level. There's a whole spiritual level. There are all kinds of things about this person that the biography can't really contain, as interesting as the biography is. So for that, and that's why I always tell my students that that the facts do not a story make. The facts are the situation, and the situation is is it's good to have a sense of what the situation is. But until you find what the situation meant to you, you don't really have a story. Story has to do with what happened plus meaning. And, and if you haven't had any insight about the meaning of what happened to you, uh, you're leaving out the rest of the iceberg. Uh, and of course, you're talking about obituaries. It's a great, you know, it's a good example. You know, the, the, you don't, you get the picture that the, that the, um, their survivors, the people who survived them want the world to see. And there, and it's high, it's, obviously it's, it edits out 99% of who the person actually was. Right, right. That's so true. I mean, and I, and I would imagine what those people were like in life, but you're right. They're written by someone else. That's their recollection. Obviously, if the person was going to write it, which made me think I'm going to write my own <laughs> obituary. Yeah. You wouldn't be the first person, it. actually. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because you want, you want your version out there, you know, the real, the real version. Um, but I just like to see like what they did or, you know, what kind of person they were. I mean, you can kind of glean a lot. Um, you know, from an obituary, if they were volunteering in a, a bunch of different things, you know, well, I would assume they're a really compassionate person um, or, or something like that. Right. But, the but op again, the like operative saying, word is assume. Yeah. So, so you, you can't really tell, right? You, you don't know. You don't, you really don't know, know why they were doing that. It might have been she might have been trying to escape her 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 awful marriage. So she, she, she's all involved in, you know, <laughs> in, in community a activism to, to stay away from her husband. You know, I'm just right. saying life is so much more complex than we, than we give it credit for. Uh, and of course, an it obituary sure doesn't is. mention all of it, doesn't mention the complexities of a person at all. Well, we're going to take a short break. Hold that thought, Mark. So much more to chat with you about. Talking with Mark Matusek, Writing to Awaken on Unity Online Radio. I'm Diane Ray. Come back after the break. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Be Present, the Diane Ray Show. 
Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for sitting through the break and joining me. And the number was announced. The phone lines are open if you'd like to join the conversation. I'm trying to keep live radio alive, <laughs> if that's at all possible. But if you have a story to share, today is definitely the perfect time to do that. My guest today is Mark Matusek. And we're talking about his book, Writing to Awaken, and his upcoming event happening at Unity Village in March, Writing is a Spiritual Practice, The Healing Power of Telling Your Story. And I just think stories are so interesting, and I, I love other people's stories. My husband calls me a nosy nibs, he says, because I'm always asking about the story. But in, in your case, Mark, that wouldn't really be a negative, that I like to have the story. Uh, <laughs> no, particularly as a radio host. <laughs> <laughs> right. So in his mind, it's uh, you're being you're being a nosy nibs. So uh, some of the writing prompts, you know, I've been digging into this in the book and uh, I was telling you a little bit during the break. It's really been inspiring me to, you know, stretch a little bit, maybe write some things that, you know, you get you get in your rut of doing things. And, you know, I, I'm churning out writing and commercial copy and that kind of thing. That's not really very, very creative, but actually giving myself the chance to explore and to write something and these prompts are are really incredible. And as I was reading through the book, you know, there was there's one prompt where you ask people to really dig deep and to write a secret they have never told anyone. And you say that our secrets are clues to what needs healing. And you share some stories in the book from the participants in the retreat. And this one woman that came out with this incredible secret, I mean, that does, must just be so cathartic, right? For For you to be able to share your secrets. It's enormously cathartic. And it's also interesting because often the people who look at you kind of puzzled and say, well, I'm an open book. I don't have any secrets, turn out to have the biggest ones of all. So once again, we like to see ourselves as honest people, open people, uh, and we are to a certain extent, but there's always a part of ourselves that uh, it remains unseen. And that that's actually a healthy thing, provided the secrets aren't kept from ourselves. Uh, and what ends up happening is because we don't share our secrets, we put them into the shadow, we go into denial about them, uh, depending, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about quote unquote negative secrets or, or, or challenging secrets. Um, and, and then, then they have no way of seeing the light of day, getting, a, you know, getting attention and, and thereby, thereby healing. The, what, what's important for me about this exercise is not the content so much. It's not so much about what your secret was. It's the reasons why you've kept it. That's why that the second part of that exercise is so important is why was it important to keep that secret? What kind of shame did it touch on in you? What kind of fear did it touch on in you? What kind of passion or, or, or joy did it touch on in you that you didn't know how to deal with so, you, so you've never shared it with somebody? You hear this also a lot in spiritual life. People have spiritual experiences that they are terrified to tell anybody about for you know, fear of being you know, thought uh, wacky or, or you know, losing credibility in some way. So a lot of people tend to keep their spiritual experiences to themselves. I often have folks writing about that. So it's, it's good to ask ourselves, what, is, what are the things that we do not share ever with others and why is that? That's really the core of this exercise. So how was it for you uh, getting into the, your own secret? That was really, it was really interesting. <laughs> it was, <laughs> that was what kind of brought, you know, brought some emotion 
up. And you're so right about the, I mean, just the comment you made about kind of keeping those spiritual experiences uh, to yourself. I mean, I've certainly had those kind of things happen in those experiences and you don't want to share because people will, will think you're nuts. So you, you do tend to kind of keep those things to yourself. Um, but the, the one prompt that I worked on, so self-image, I think, is, is interesting. You know, how you see yourself, how you think other people see you. And I just had a, a reunion, you know, through the wonder of Facebook. All people kind of show up from the, the misty past of your high school years. And I reconnected with someone from high school that I hadn't seen in like 30 years. And so we're talking and I actually drove up to San Clemente uh, to meet her. And it was so amazing to me how her recollection of me she goes, oh, I remember you were such a great clarinet player and, you know, you were you were so confident in all this. And I'm thinking, what? You know, that, <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't me at all. You know, so I'm, I'm really I'm interested in, in kind of digging into that. And so I, I did the exercise in the section on self-image. I did the prompt to describe myself in 25 words or less. So this is what I, I wrote last night. And then I wrote it again today or reread it today. And I thought it was dumb. So that here I'm going to read some of the words to you and then, and then tell me what you think. Great. So I wrote smart, driven, loyal, funny, quick, anxious, busy, overwhelmed, book lover, reader, compassionate, dark haired, loves the quiet, loves Italian food. <laughs> it sounds uh -huh. dumb. Led Zeppelin fan, loves to dance when no one's looking creative artistic music lover mm, mm. The, those are just some of the words right and they then i looked them, at it this morning them. and i go this seems dumb i can't tell mark this well why not that's the beginning of <laughs> there's nothing on there that isn't true uh and, and it's the big it's the beginning of a portrait and uh, the reason that i i give this exercise is for folks to see what labels they put on themselves uh, it's very interesting. Often people will uh, write about themselves only externally, for example, you know, who they are to others, who they are in the world, and leave out their inner life completely. You know, other people, will, it will be all internal, and there's very little connectivity in how they see themselves. They don't see themselves as part of anything else. So it's very revealing in you know, what, what, you, can, what you, you can show in 25 words. It's like almost a, kind of a Rorschach test of our own self-image. And, and and the you know the the labels we put on ourselves, the language we use to describe ourselves, impacts us enormously. So it's important to know what that language is. Well, you know what I tried to do that. So I tried to do it without stopping myself. So mm -hmm. I I would write a couple of positive words, and I thought, well, I better throw in something, honestly, somewhat negative, or that I feel you know because I so I put overwhelmed, busy anxious. So I said, I better be honest because I don't want, I don't want to lie to Mark on the show and how, and, and put all these positive words, you know, right. I, so I was even questioning myself with that. Isn't that silly? No, it's not silly at all. We do this all the time. We do it subconsciously in every social interaction that we have. What can I show? What should I not show? What does this person want? What don't they want? Are they going to judge me? Uh, and that's how we nip and tuck ourselves throughout our social lives. Uh, and we do, we do it inwardly. Uh, and we do it w with with other people. What I'm curious to know, Diane, is what did you find silly about your list? I thought that, I guess I thought, well, who's going to care about that? Or, 
maybe someone would question why I thought to add that to the list, you know, like Led Zeppelin fan or loves Italian food. Those seem like, I guess, trivial or dumb things that have no gravitas for a oh, radio I see. host. I see. I see. They weren't, <laughs> they weren't, they didn't, they didn't feel serious enough. Right. Right. But do you see how, do you see how you've, uh, you've gone out of yourself and are looking from the outside in and trying to, you know, judge what works, what doesn't work, how are they going to see you? This is important information for you. So if we were in class together, I would, that's what I'd want you to write about is, is, is the, is caring so much about, uh, the, uh, how you impact others, um, and, uh, the judgment of others, and also this sense of wanting to be a more serious person or to be perceived as a serious person, which of course you are, but like all of us, you have, you have silly sides and thank God. Uh, but it's so, it's, it's so to see where our, where our embarrassment comes up, our shame comes up, uh, is really, really useful when you do this exercise. Right, right. I did. I found it useful when I went back and looked this morning after I, I wrote all those words down that I guess I'm so uh, maybe concerned or worried that people see me that I, well, she's confident and she knows what she's doing when sometimes, you know, let's face it, we don't know what we're doing and, you know, we hope we're doing the right thing. Right. Um, so, yeah, it, it was inter- it was interesting to me. And that's, um, that's, and that's, that's, where, that's actually one of that's one of the great misconceptions is that if we reveal our vulnerability, that people are going to take us less seriously or trust us less. And it's actually just the opposite. You know, when you allow yourself to to obviously be you can be confident, you can be strong. But then uh, when you allow yourself to show the chink in the arm or to show the parts of yourself that that aren't uh, confident or that feel a little bit tender, people trust you much, much more. And you, and, and they also appreciate your strength uh, in a more realistic way because they have a sense of what you're, you're struggling with. You know, what are your, your demons? What are your adversaries? Where's your resistance? People don't want a perfect teacher. They don't want a perfect writer. And I'm sure they don't want a perfect you know, host. Uh, they, they want a human being. Uh, and I'm always I always say right. this to folks who are writing memoir or who are giving uh, either a Pollyanna kind of picture of themselves or whitewashing too much. Nobody has any interest in reading, uh, reading the story of someone who thinks they're better than they are. You know, if anything, we should err on the side of humility, not on the side of of, of you know, trying to, you know, trying to impersonate somebody else. Right. That's a good point. And and like you said, showing our vulnerability and the places where we are human helps us connect even more where other people will see themselves also in your uh, uncomfortableness, I guess, or or your discomfort um, and relate to that. So we should we should explore our vulnerabilities and and admit to them. I'm sure a, a lot more than we do. And and also talking about that kind of brings up uh, touching the shadow, you know, in the parts of ourselves where we we hide these stories and we're talking about secrets and uh, hiding stories of, of fear and shame, you know, and, and that that one exercise was really challenging, you know, piece to explore, you know, the uh, the exercise of your greatest shame. So I found I found that one really difficult. Mm-hmm. You want me to tell you? <laughs> <laughs> you want me to tell you my greatest shame? 
<laughs> well, I mean, I'm I'm sure there's been a lot of you know I'm sure there's been a lot of shame over the years. This was just one that came up recently um, over the holidays because it was it was really kind of um, kind of touching. I was home uh, visiting my sister and my nephew and and family there in Florida, and something that always brings me shame was a comment that I made to my mother when I was about 10 or 11 and it was Christmas, you know, we're opening presents and, and my parents weren't rich. You know, my mother was a teacher and my father was a social worker. And I made a snotty comment about the lack of gifts under the tree. Like I counted it up. I'm like, well, that's, that's not much, you know, as, as a rotten brat. And so mm. my mother got upset and she went outside and, and she saw my neighbor who, who I'm still friends with to this day. Um, and my neighbor said, you know, why did you say that? You know, you, you made your mother cry. And I was immediately ashamed. And I, but I never really apologized for that specific thing to my mother. You know, my mother had passed away in 2007. And, and I just, uh, at the holidays when it rolls around, I would give anything to talk to her again and tell her how sorry I am for what an ungrateful brat I was, you know, at that age, mm -hmm. making that comment. And the reason it even came up was that my sister came to me and she goes, my nephew made a, a, a similar comment to her because he didn't get his $200 designer shoes. Um, and I said, you know, tell him that, you know, one of my big regrets that I will always, you know, will carry with me is the shame I feel in that comment that I made that, that snotty comment of not having enough gifts. Mm -hmm. I guess yeah. that's, I guess when I say it out loud, it's not as horrible a shame as I felt it was when I wrote it exactly. down. Exactly. And that's why it's important to say things out, say it out loud because you realize, my God, it, because when we keep it inside, it's, it's, it becomes like an echo chamber and it amplifies and things become much bigger than they actually are. So part of what writing does is it shrinks things down to human scale. So what you could do is write a letter to your mother apologizing for what you are holding, you know, what, what, uh, for what you said, uh, and, and for the shame that it caused and, and for the pain that it caused her, that can be very, very therapeutic. You don't need to have someone to send it to. You'd be amazed what you can, uh, what you can shift by just verbalizing it. Yeah, I think I'm going to do that. You know, I wrote a similar letter, uh, to my father when he passed, he passed in 2003. Mm. Um, but it, it was, it wasn't anything on, something something like this um but the other part of the exercise was then after i i you know wrote this out and kind of thought about that and how I, how i felt about that incident the other part of the exercise is how it affects your life now and so i thought about that and and i had the insight of well i think it's important to tell people that you appreciate them and you thank them for what they do and that's mm. something i've always tried to do with people that i work with and co-workers and friends that I, I appreciate you you know I think saying thank you and I appreciate you is important so I try to do that and maybe that is something that I learned from being that brat all those years ago yeah and isn't that wonderful that <laughs> that that you know fairly innocuous comment um right which which didn't destroy your mother although it feels like it did um actually taught you how to be more, you know, more appreciative toward others for the rest of your life. That's a pretty big benefit that comes from, you know, one, one little momentary comment when you were 10 years old. Right. Right. Yeah. And so just yeah. that, that, so that example, 
I guess, mm-hmm. can show you kind of the insights that you can can peel away, even with something that may seem as innocuous as a, a dumb comment. Um, but yeah. I did find, you know, more meaning in that as I as I sat with it and, and thought about it. Right, right. A little bit the more. other thing about shadow that's important to mention is that along with shame and fear and guilt and all of those those uh, challenging, destructive emotions that we carry in the shadow, we also conceal our power, uh, our uniqueness, our originality, and many of our greatest gifts. Uh, and that's why another exercise around shadow is what are the gifts that you suppress in your shadow because they make you uncomfortable, you didn't know what to do with them, uh, they're confusing, they cause some kind of a shame. Uh, that's really important because in, we, 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 we hide our power uh, just as much as we hide our, our, our weaknesses. So what, where do you feel like you hold yourself back and why? What's your story about you know, why you can't be that big? You know, I hear this from women a lot, you know, women who were taught to you know, not not really be as big as the men around them for fear of threatening them. And they're now spending the rest of their lives growing into what they actually can be when they let this energy uh, and imagination uh, and courage out of this shadow where they've, they've kept it under control. Right. We do keep ourselves small so often. Um, and and definitely women probably much more than men, but I think a lot of us feel that you know for whatever reason oh I don't want to upset this person or or challenge them or or make them feel less than by me being the, the full expression of of who I can be. But how sad that that's happening, right? How how much better would society be if we all were the bigger version of ourselves? I, oh, I ab- absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but I can't, I mean, I can't tell you how many people have talked to me about feeling like they're too big in their lives. They're too big for their life. They're too big for the people around them. They're too big for their job or they're too big for their community. Uh, and I always say, it's not that you're too big. It's that, that the life in those ways is too small, you know? So, so rather than shrinking to fit, why don't we find ways of, 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 of getting beyond our shame of being accomplished and being intelligent, being you know, capable uh, and, and allow ourselves to be as big as we might be. You know, it, that doesn't make other people smaller. And I think that's a real, that is of course, a lot of the reason why people suppress themselves. They don't want other people to feel small, but that doesn't make, you're not looking down on other people. You're saying I'm big and you're big too. And it actually gives other people permission to, to, to grow. It does exactly the exact opposite from what we're afraid it will do, uh, you know, making them feel belittled or, 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 or envious or, you know, um, you know, not happy by comparison. Right, right. Let's be big together. Let's all be exactly. big. I think that, exactly. that would be great. <laughs> um, another uh, cool thing that you, you brought up in the book, a, a concept that I, I really like to work with, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Ram Dass. Uh, the teacher who who passed away uh, recently this past December 22nd. And he wrote a book a few years ago called Polishing the Mirror. And he talks about being the witness. And you brought up this concept as well, uh, being the witness. And how would you describe your definition of the witness and how we can work with this concept? Well, Ram Dass was somebody I knew and, and worked with. I did a book with him years ago, and it, it taught oh, me did? a lot. Yes, I did a book with him called uh, Still Here. It was about conscious aging. 
Uh, and <gasps> you're kidding me. You read, you wrote that book with Ram Dass. I did. I did. I spent a year with him uh, on and off uh, working on that book after he had his stroke uh, because he couldn't finish the book himself. So it was I sat with him and kind of pulled pulled the pulled the language out. Uh, and so they, uh, that was an amazing experience. Uh, oh, my gosh. He, yeah. Yeah. And, That's crazy, because that was that was the first book I ever read of his. And I just wanted to tell you how much that book impacted me because I was just dealing with my father's death and I hadn't really heard of Ram Dass. And, you know, those books that fall on the shelf and hit you, that was one of them still oh, wow. here. And it's yeah. so amazing that I didn't even realize that you had co-wrote that. Yes, yes, I did. So I had, I had to uh, fan and, and out Dass on you a minute. <laughs> <laughs> but so you asked about what, what the witness is or how I yes. would describe the witness is that knowing part of ourselves uh, that is able to observe our thoughts, observe our feelings, uh, and isn't caught up in uh, the you know, the confusion uh, of the world. It's the part of ourselves that is that is behind our uh, attention, so to speak. That isn't um, that is neutral, uh, and it's the ability. It's, it's the part of us that can look at, for example, at a piece of writing with some objectivity afterward. Uh, beyond, if you go beyond the, your, your own small uh, judgmental self and you look at it through the, through the eyes of God, so to speak. You look at it through the eyes of, of consciousness uh, and that's what it means to take the witness perspective. You know, if we couldn't do that, we couldn't grow. There would be no self-awareness. Uh, there would be no meditation. And meditation depends on the witnessing self uh, to to bring the mind down, settle uh, thoughts and feelings and, and come into a clearer perception. Uh, so, so the witness is the part of ourselves that isn't caught in time and space that can uh, that can think about what we're thinking. And that's 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 really how we how we wake up. We wouldn't be able to question our stories without the witness. Because we would we would a hundred percent believe that we were the story, but there's always a part of yourself that knows it, you're not, and that's the part that that I speak to in these classes. The part of ourselves that isn't brainwashed, the part of ourselves that isn't deceived into thinking that that's all we are. Uh, that's that's our ace in the hole as uh, as uh, human beings. It's what and it's what allows us to self-realize. Uh, there wouldn't be any spiritual life without the witness either. So I could go on and on about this, but it's a, it's a really important part of oneself to get familiar with uh, it because it gets you, you get stronger uh, and you get less threatened by the, the changes in your life. You realize that you don't have to be at the effect of everything, that you can be the observer as well. Well, I think it's such an important concept to convey to people that have never really thought of things in that way, because as, as I was reading again in, in your book, how to work with that, you know, where if you're kind of in a situation that is causing anxiety or something, the ability to take yourself out of that and look at it and say, oh, well, here I am. I just I just dropped, a, you know, a, a glass of milk on the floor. What's the big deal about that? Although when you're in that moment, you're freaking out, oh, stepping on glass, uh, you know, that that kind of thing. I mean, when you when you try to teach people, is there an exercise you could share to help us access the witness easier? Well, one one easy thing to do is to take a breath you know, before we react, learning to take a pause 
uh, is, is what allows the witness to come in and respond instead of just acting out uh, and being, being you know, at, at the effect of what's happened to us. So simply pausing, not being, uh, not sort of tumbling forward unconsciously into the next moment, but allowing ourselves to, to stand back, as you said, and say, now what really happened? I dropped a glass of milk. I lost a glass. I lost some milk. Did anything else change? No. <laughs> and, and the judgment starts, immediately starts to, starts to fizzle out when we ask ourselves, what has changed? Why does this matter? So, so take a pause uh, and let yourself not just be um, a victim of, the, of, of reactivity and, and emotions. It's so important to know our emotions. And it's so important to be honest about them, but not to be their slave. You know, most of us, many of us are slaves of our emotions. And we wonder why our lives don't, don't progress or, or why we feel neurotic or, or stuck. So would you say emotions are not facts? Oh, they're definitely not facts. No. Well, I mean, is it a fact, for example, that I, if you're feeling sad, is it a fact that in that moment you're feeling sad? Yeah, you could say so. Uh, but, but there's no objective reality to, to your emotions. You must know the saying that feelings aren't facts. You know, just yes. because you think that somebody doesn't like you doesn't mean they don't like you. You have your they they trigger you in some way, and that uh, that that makes you think about your history of, with people like that, from which you extrapolate, oh, they don't like me. That's not that's not that's not, that's not the true. I mean, that's not the the truth. That's not reality. Uh, but but there is validity to one's to the emotion, uh, as long as you know that it's not. There's no objective truth to it. Right. So interesting. Mark, we could just go on. I love talking with you. Um, unfortunately, we're running out of time on the uh, Diane Ray show here. But I do hope that people will check out the book and do some self-inquiry and dig a little deeper here. Writing to Awaken is uh, out there available in the world. And also, if you're around Kansas City in March, the 12th through the 15th at Unity Village, definitely check out Mark. Writing as a spiritual practice the healing power of telling your story and get Mark online, Mark Matusek, M-A-T-O-U-S-E-K.com. And Mark, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Diane. Good to talk to you. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.